Well, greetings, everyone. On today's podcast, we'll do our full review. It's been a couple of weeks for us, so we'll do a full review of all the really interesting trend changes in the markets and interesting things happening in the economy. And then we finish with a uh, a follow-up interview to an interview we did uh, last year with Jeremy Schwartz, who is the global global head of research for Wisdom Tree Funds. Very interesting group. Uh, we happen to be holders, and many of our clients are holders of Wisdom Tree Funds and various uh, funds that that uh, that they own with us, investment portfolios that they own with us. So it should be should be an interesting. He's quite a colorful guy. And uh, when are we when are we get started? All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is Brian Castle here with the Four Star Podcast. I'm here with uh, my trusty companion, Mr. Christopher Reardon. Good afternoon, everyone. And uh, Chris is here. Uh, Chris is our our, uh, Four Star Director of Development. I call him the master of all things portfolio, trading, reports. Uh, He still loves his Cleveland Indians, caretaker of his golden doodle puppy, Hudson. Puppy Hudson, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Can't even speak anymore. Not much of a puppy anymore, but uh, well, he's going to be three, I think, this summer. So there we go. Uh, And I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO of Four Star, uh, and I'm an Eagle Scout, a trustee of the National Scout Foundation, and we're doing some interesting things there. Philanthropic advisor, advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief dad to Quinn and Evan, and husband to the amazing Tripti. Um, let me just remind everybody, if you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends. Uh, we um, would like you to give us a five out of five ranking, if you would. That would be wonderful. And you can hear us on all the major podcast services, uh, whether you uh, got this in an email or you got it off the services, iTunes, Spotify, uh, and all the others. So anyway, we'll start in with our markets, economy, and what we see out there. Uh, Chris, um, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the big changes that have happened in all the major asset classes in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of changes since our last podcast, um, primarily um, in commodities, but we'll get there. Uh, domestic equity still leads the way, though, in the number one asset class, although it did uh, pull back three points from the last podcast. So it's at 315, but clearly still the number one asset class. It's got about a 75-point lead on the number two and three asset classes, which is international equities in the number two now uh, and commodities in the number three. Um, but what I would, you know, those two asset classes are really jostling for that two position. Um, international equities has 254 points, commodities 251 points. So they're right there. And depending on the week and how, how they go, how the week goes, uh, we could see commodities in number two, uh, international number three. So those are really jostling back and forth. But since the last podcast, international equities pulled back three points. So it's been relatively flat. Uh, and like I said in the beginning, commodities is the big news. Um, it was up 37 points from the last podcast. Uh, there's a lot of drivers behind that, uh, primarily oil and some other agriculture, uh, but um, that's the big mover. Uh, fixed income holds the number four position. It lost 12 points from the last podcast, uh, 125. 
uh, is a point score. Uh, cash is in the fifth position uh, at 89 points, and currencies is in the sixth position at 55 points. So um, really everything lost points except for commodities since the last podcast. So commodities is the whole story. Commodities last is couple the whole of weeks. story. Yeah. yeah. So we're up 37 points where every one of the other uh, groups, even the leading groups, were down from the previous podcast. Yep. Yeah, and I think that some, that might surprise some people. I mean, the uh, the... U.S. markets or domestic markets have still been relatively strong. Uh, there has been some volatility here, uh, but you know, you know, commodities I think just really soaked it up. And I think, like I said, a lot of it was oil. Um, the expectation of reopening. We've had a lot of good news from that front. Uh, so I think people are really making that bet. We have, I think, oil's at roughly sixty bucks a barrel now. Last I saw. Yes. Yeah, sixty dollars a barrel, and it's going to be an interesting driving season uh, once summer comes back and people start to travel again. Uh, you know, sixty dollar a barrel oil will be uh, uh, formidable. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> right? Um, interesting in the commodity sector, we're seeing uh, metals move and mm -hmm. industrial metals. We're seeing precious metals move. Uh, what's not in the commodity sector is Bitcoin. Now that's really moving too. Yep. Yeah, it touched sixty thousand this past weekend. So I think it pulled back to fifty-six thousand last I saw. But um, it just continues. Uh, you know, I think just when people think it's slowed down or it's going to stop, it, you know, a week later it pops right back up again. It's been a pretty uh, pretty crazy story. It really has been, and and you can also make a case that since since Bitcoin is becoming the anti, becoming the opposite of of uh, risk when there's concerns about uh, currencies and and deficit spending and things like that. It used to be only gold, well now people are putting money into Bitcoin. Maybe gold and uh, some of those other precious metals would have been up even higher, would have had an even higher tally score advantage uh, in this recent survey if we didn't have Bitcoin in the way. Well, and I think one of the interesting things, because um, Bitcoin really is a good correlation to gold because it's a limited supply. The reason gold's so powerful is you only have so much gold on Earth, right? You can't make more gold, so um, there's a limited supply. It's that's why it's you know the almost the opposite of the dollar, which we can just print more of. You know, mm -hmm. you can create more dollars. Can't create more gold. Bitcoin, you can't create more either. So it's really mm -hmm. interesting because if you have more demand. Uh, limited supply that drives the price up. So mm -hmm. um, you've really seen that, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But yeah, I agree. You know, how much has that since gold's gold's been relatively flat to down, uh, which you wouldn't really necessarily expect with um, some of the inflation expectations and things coming out. Um, so you know, maybe Bitcoin's been the play, and we've talked about this. When it was like 16,000, we thought that was really big. Uh, we talked about Bitcoin being crazy. Um, I remember my clarion call at 4,000 a unit. Where is everybody? If you liked it at 19,000. It's true. It's at 4,000. Where where are you? <laughs> so now it's 60,000. 60, yeah, that's crazy. In two years. I mean, and I hear uh, stories. Uh, gosh, there was a story about uh, there was like some gaming tournament or something back in 2009. And first place place prize was a hundred bucks. Second place prize was fifty dollars, and third place prize was like ten bitcoins. And at the time, that was you know worthless. And it was like so that person now is those ten bitcoins are worth what you know a ridiculous amount of money. So yes, um, you know it's crazy. Well, we we keep talking about bitcoin. Sorry about that, everybody. But bitcoin's a little crazy. Anyway, but back to the kind of the stock market and how it all relates. So uh, analysts are ramping up earnings estimates as we're going into an economic recovery. So now there's lots of debate on how that recovery is going. We see good numbers, bad numbers, ha good things, you know, not so good things or not quick enough things. So we did have a market that that 
crashed last year, down 35%, and everyone said, oh, it'll never be a V-shaped recovery. But it turns out it was a V-shaped recovery, mm -hmm. uh, defying all odds. But the economy has not been a V-shaped recovery. It's been a slow recovery. Um, but this year, analysts are ramping up estimates, and, and the expected earnings estimate growth is 27%, which will be a dr dr dramatic uh, record number for 2021. And that would bring it to a multiple, the S&P, of about 19 to 20 times, depending on which specific metrics you use. The market's fair value has been 17 times, and anyone who follows market history knows, like in some of the bear markets, like in the 1970s, it went down to like a single-digit multiple where the stock market was trading at nine times earnings, dirt, dirt cheap. But the fair value averages set around 17 times. Highest it ever was was 23 times. So at 21 times, which is where we'd be at a 20% growth, it's, uh, you know, it's reasonable, a little bit on the high end. But if we do see a 27% ramp up in earnings, it'll be even cheaper. Not quite back to fair value, but um, certainly not wildly overvalued by any stretch. But we'll see if the earnings come in. It would be a record earnings for the S&P. Markets are reacting to expectations of positivism and hitting new highs. Year 2000 was the outlier of all time, more than even in 1929. Uh, when the uh, multiple got to 23 times. There's another um, index, the Schiller, Robert Schiller's index, that brings in real estate and other things. At that time, the year 2000, uh, multiple in that index was up to 45 times earnings. That same index is now only 34 times earnings. So we're not at the highest ever. Um, the emerging markets, however, are very, very cheap. International stocks are very, very cheap, and we've been talking about that for a while. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll see how those trends play out. Chris, you mentioned oil at $60 a barrel. Uh, let's talk about consumer price index too. Yep, yeah, so uh, we got the, the CPI or consumer price index that came out for February. Uh, it was up a modest 0.4%, uh, but I think the highlights of it, gasoline prices jumped 6.4% from January to February, which is a big leap there. Um, and then we had the electricity and natural gas prices were up 3.9%. Uh, food prices were up as well. Um, everything else was relatively flat, though. So we had mm -hmm. some big movers that were really powering that number. Uh, and then you had kind of everything else relatively flat. So we got that kind of overall modest number, 0.4%. Um, and the the gas and the um, oil prices um, and the electricity, all that was primarily driven by, A, most of the country was covered in significantly or severely cold weather. Uh, for the month of February. Uh, and then we also had those winter storms that disrupted um, a lot of infrastructure. It disrupted a lot of oil production down in Texas. Uh, and obviously we had a lot of power outages and problems down there. So um, this is probably an anomaly, this jump here. I don't think that's gonna be something, I think it's gonna kind of come back a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, it definitely is something that did cause some disruption. And I think it's also what caused some of the jump not the entirety of it, but some of the jump in our asset class um, where the, that big commodities move. Absolutely. Retail earnings were stronger. Um, Macy's, the big national retailer, has lots of stores. Uh, they're uh, building their sales now and digital online sales growing sharply, but the same store sales are weak, down 17% in same store sales. So uh, they're actually closing some key stores in Michigan Avenue in Chicago's Water Tower, uh, very visible store closing. 
some other things are moving in there. It might be a target moving in there. Mm-hmm. So still, the trend is to move to online purchasing. Walmart's in the game. Amazon's the leader. Uh, you know, some of the other major retailers are going more and more online. Uh, so, um, you know, anyway, that that's kind of an interesting trend. Yeah, and then I, I think the um, from another economic perspective, the biggest, I think the home run really, you could say, in the last couple of weeks was the employee, the jobs number. They added uh, 379,000 jobs in February, which crushed expectations by, I think, over 100,000 of what they were expecting. Um, and then they revised the January gains up 166,000. So um, that was a great to see after Q4, especially in December, we started to see kind of seeing slumping again from the jobs front. Uh, so it's good to see that take off again. Um, it'll be interesting to see and hopefully carry that momentum forward into March, mm-hmm. April, and May. And, and that's, you know, we talked about this, I think, all last year, but we want to see the trends uh, increase. You know, yeah. as long as the trends are increasing, it's very positive um, for the um, the economy as a whole. Um, and I think that's what we will see. I mean, in Chicago here, we've, we've get, been getting a little bit more of what you would say reopening. Uh, in Texas and other states, you've had it, you know, almost fully reopened now. So, you know, as these states start to come out of, per se, hibernation, you know, we're, we're going to start to see, I think, a lot of these numbers start to bolster up, which is going to be good to see. Yes. And so right now, what's driving the markets, and we're looking today, market uh, Dow Jones start close at 32,825, uh, right near an all-time high, not at the high. Uh, we're seeing banks and energy drive most of the rises in mm-hmm. the S&P and, and the Dow Jones. That's totally different than last year. Last year was all technology and healthcare. So we've had a big change uh, in, in leadership. Uh, dividend stocks are strong where they have been out of favor for a long time. And we'll hear a little bit about dividend stocks with, with uh, Jeremy Schwartz in a moment. Uh, we are also seeing small companies, small cap stocks tend to go in three and four year waves. We've just begun a wave of small caps. Mm-hmm. That could go on for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, international stocks have been the most undervalued, specifically emerging stocks, which I mentioned. And those are starting to run too in the last three to four months. And of course, commodity-related financials and banks. So those are the trends that we're seeing. Um, so we are in what we believe to be a secular bull market. It seems that way. It feels that way. Markets tend, tend to react that way. And usually when there's bad news in a bear market, uh, in a bull market like we're in now, the market tends to shrug it off. When there's bad news and it's a bear market, the market crashes on bad news. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we're in the market kind of market that ignores bad news. That's what we're hearing, right? We're seeing a lot of things in Washington, overspending, a lot of policy changes. The market seems to be shrugging off even the negative things that would have a negative effect on the economy. Uh, so uh, one of the questions that we get a lot of, and we'll mention this, uh, we'll ask this question of Jeremy Schwartz later on, um, we're seeing a lot of speculation. We talked about GameStop and a couple of podcasts and costs and some of these other companies. Is that the signal the market is too high? Well, it doesn't appear to be that way to us because there's always been some sort of Yahoo message board or some kind of crazy thing where people are speculating, but they look for signs and signals to think that the market's way too high and it's going to crash. The question we're always getting is, gee, you know, I'm fearful the market's going to crash. But, you know, if you look at market history, when do markets crash? Markets crash when there's a, a big hurtful economy coming in, like in 2007, the credit situation was completely out of control. The banks were over leveraged. The brokers are over leveraged. Everyone was over leveraged with real estate and it all came crashing down. And that, you know, that was a very, very painful, great recession, not as bad as the Great Depression, but 
pretty bad. Certainly the real estate market was worse mm -hmm. in the Great Depression um, because of the, the ownership of real estate is why that was. But nonetheless, you know, it was a very, very difficult time. Uh, then we had a pandemic last year, and that was a market crash of 35%. So when something catastrophic like that happens or, or there's an economic collapse going on in the short run, uh, that's when you get market crashes. Do we get market crashes when the economy is recovering? However it recovers, slow or fast? Usually not. That's not the time. So we'd probably make the bet that as long as we continue on this economic recovery, we're probably not going to see a market crash in the near term. Well, and I think the, the, the housing crisis back in 08-09 uh, is perfect because I think you're starting to see some parallels to it. I shouldn't say parallels. People trying to make comparisons to it now. Because you have a really hot housing market right now. Uh, but it's just not true. And I think it shows kind of the markets can look the same but be completely different. You know, now a lot of lenders are much stricter about providing mortgages, which that was a big problem back in 08, 09, is that people could get, you know, mortgages. They had the ninja, you know. How no many do you want? Four, three, four houses? No okay. income, no jobs. Whereas now lenders are very, 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 they, they focus in on that. They don't want to provide it if, if you don't have income, steady income or no job. Um, and then, you know, right now it's a lot just, you have a lot of people that, want to go into those houses so it's supply and demand whereas in 0809 you had just a lot of essentially just buyers that were just driving the entire market up yeah. you had this frenzy towards it and that, that was due to you know easy lending so you know there's there's times when it can look like your markets can look like the same or that they're overpriced one when you really look under the hood you know there's a lot of differences absolutely well, and, and uh, you know, folks who are study students of market history know that markets tend to correct severely in certain periods of time and wash out all the excesses of the previous uh, bull market uh, until stocks get really, really cheap and investments get really cheap. Uh, and that happened in 2009. We got down to very low multiples. Uh, it wasn't record low. The record low multiple ever was in 19, I believe it was 1974 at the end of the oil crisis, and that was down 75% from the high. Mm -hmm. Really brutal. That was the worst bear market ever. But since the March 2009 low of the financial markets after the Great Recession at 6,540, I think was the number, uh, the, the Dow is now up to 32,000. But along the way, there are what we call market corrections or now we like to call them tantrums mm -hmm. right so this <laughs> the summer of 2011 if anybody remembers that's when the united states government lost a triple a rating on their bonds and that was a really uh dysfunctional time for the economy market went lurching back and forth in a very chaotic fashion for three or four months mm -hmm. so that was a market tantrum we also had a, a big pullback in fall of 2014 but 25 percent technology was was brutalized and yep. and biotechnology stocks got brutalized then Fall of 2018 was just a severe, sharp one-quarter correction after seven of the best quarters in market history. And that, well, that was because of the tariffs. We had kind of that initial kickoff, and people didn't know what to expect. Yes. And then in spring of 2016, there was a, a market tantrum. And, of course, last year, uh, the pandemic tantrum where the S&P was down 35%, NASDAQ was down 40% uh, from top to bottom, and then we, we've made it all the way back. Um, one of the things we talked about a lot is Four Star has designed a program, a series of portfolios that raise cash and get out of the market, uh, two moderate portfolios to go to 50% cash and two 
absolute portfolios, we call that will go to 100% cash based on triggers. Well, last year we had to do a lot of fancy footwork to get those triggers uh, moving. Uh, they moved very, very quickly. We had to act very, very quickly because that was the swiftest 35% decline we've ever gone through. So the worst uh, portfolio was down about 18% from the high, but not down 35 or 40. Uh, and then the balanced accounts that had bonds and usually, you know, they were, I think the worst was like 13%. So our, our objective there is to try to avoid the 30, the 40, the 50, or in, like in the 1970s, a 70% downdraft in your, in your assets. That changes lives. It causes people to go back to work. If you're down 50% from the high, you've got to double your money to break even. Mm -hmm. And that will take an entire decade. So if we can keep the loss limited to, you know, 10 to 20 percent in that range, you can gain that back in a year or so, uh, or two years. So um, we were very successful with that this year. Uh, so that's the whole point of the protection program, and you can learn more about that at fourstarwealth.com, uh, or give us a call. We're happy to talk about that. Uh, Chris, we talked about the economy mm -hmm. and the expectation for growth. And the expectation across the board is pretty much a 6% growth. But one recent investment bank came out and said their analysts say we're going to have an 8% growth um, in, in the United States. Uh, if we have a 6% expected growth for the entire world, that would be one of the strongest growth years ever for the entire world. And if we're the 6% grower and 8% grower, that would make us the number one growth country as a country, and that's the first time in a long time, it's the first time since the 1960s we've had a 6% GDP growth year. Now some of that though is stimulus. Yep. A lot of money thrown at, at, at this decision. Um, we were probably number one in economic response in, in America uh, with flooding the market with money. $12 trillion between the banks being liquefied by the Federal Reserve and then the, the Trump uh, stimulus packages and now the recent Biden stimulus package. Um, but, you know, some some of the growth is you know, pushed by that money, obviously. So we won't probably see organic growth GDP until about late 2022 when all the jobs come back and all the people who are spending bring that GDP back to an organic growth. Yeah, it's going to take um, a little, probably a little over a year, if not two years, for everything to fully renormalize. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are going to see a short term. We are going to see a pop um, similar to, I mean, almost 400,000 jobs added in February. So there's going to be some sharp, but there's going to, it's going to take a couple of years uh, for this to almost imagine work its way through the system as far as renormalizing out, um, you know, jobs getting comfortable. Hiring again, back to full capacity, bring on new employees for sure. Exactly, exactly. Well, and then uh, what we see out there, clearly uh, the new administration has a different view of how to deal with some of the economic issues. Uh, uh, China was very scared of our previous president, President Trump, and, and he took it to them with tariffs, and, and he was very tough about a whole bunch of other things. China is still our biggest threat. They've basically had taken all of our manufacturing. Uh, they also have been acquiring uh, rare earth metals. So many investors are looking to do mining and rare earth metals. There are plentiful in, in, in the ground, but they're just not mined. And so we've got to get those out of the ground. Also, a big, a big play lately is lithium for batteries and all the electric vehicles that are out there. So a lot of investors are looking in. Here we are. Again, we're at commodities, right? We're talking about commodities. Mm -hmm. That's what's really hot right now. Uh, so that's some of the trends we're seeing. How the new administration deal, deals with China will actually have a big effect on our 
gross domestic product and the economic fortunes of our country and our people. It's going to be really interesting. I think um, that lithium aspect in particular is going to be a problem because a lot of the lithium mines, I think, end up in that Pacific, Asia-Pacific, Indonesia era, area. And I think um, at least a lot of the ones we know of now, and China has gone in and, and you know purchased a lot of those companies or bought shares of them. I know Tesla just went and they purchased a pre-order or uh, an agreement, uh, trade agreement, to a degree with a um, lithium mine to make sure they could get their materials for their batteries. So um, that's gonna be something, you know, moving forward that's gonna be really, really big, the lithium. So, and especially if this administration really wants to push green energy and batteries and electric vehicles, it's a very big component for it. So it'll be interesting to see how they react to it, especially with China kind of making an aggressive move towards it, at least for, for the short term right now. Absolutely, and and uh, the consumer price index is not going up. We talked about the inflation thing. We're seeing inflation in certain commodities, but the consumer price index is not picking all that up. And sometimes they quote consumer price index X food and energy, but mm -hmm. that's a big part of our life, right? So maybe they shouldn't quote it X food and energy because we consume food and energy, right? So anyway, um, you know, interest rates uh, have been spiking a little bit higher in the intermediate and long-term ranges, but then they faded a little bit too. The Fed is committed to keeping interest rates low, risking inflation because they want to see inflation, and that's something we had a really hard time getting inflation after the deep Great Recession that we went through in 2007 to 2009 or 2010. So they want to get inflation back, and they have tools to solve inflation once inflation does come back like raising interest rates and, and clamping down on reserve requirements in the banks and other, other tools that they have. So, you know, we could probably see some half-point increases in 2022, 2023, according to, to some Fed watchers and analysts, but probably not until then. So... Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be the big thing. The Fed and even the markets, I mean, all eyes are really going to be on inflation because uh, it's going to be a big driver. If inflation picks up quicker, that's what's really driving uh, rates right now. Because mm -hmm. if inflation picks up, people want to sell the, you know, the, the prime ones, the 10-year treasury. People sell it because if inflation picks up above what you're getting on that, you're losing money. Mm -hmm. You know, if inflation's 2% and you're only making 1.5%, you're losing uh, half a percent each year. So um, people tend to sell that off. It drives the yields up. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that play there. Uh, but, you know, that could be something that has an impact on the market. That's one unknown variable, I would say, out there. Uh, that's what's causing the short-term volatility we're seeing now. Uh, people are kind of expecting high inflation um, or predicting it. Um, some people, and they're making bets on it. And we're seeing that play out in the treasure, the 10-year treasury, which is at 1.62% now. After the starting the year at almost only 1% or mm -hmm. around 1%. So a lot of moves there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and uh, how that impacts the housing market. There's a lot of different kind of trickle-down things that occur uh, just off of, you know, interest rates. If the Standard & Poor's index yield is less than the bond yield, some people felt, well, maybe everyone will sell their stocks and buy bonds. But yep. I, I have a hard time getting excited about 1.6% yield either. You know, so maybe maybe you take the one and a half in the S&P and try to make some gains in the stock market. No, that's true. You know, and, and I think that, you know, 1.62 isn't very attractive. But, you know, if that starts inching up to two, you know, who knows? So it, it's going to be something, I think, to really watch kind of moving forward i think and right now doesn't seem to be too much of a threat but you know if it continues moving uh, if it gets to goes another 50 basis points gets in the twos some people say i'll take those two percents and i'll be maybe fine. they will yeah that's right that's right 
Well, that's, uh, that's about what we have for today. Um, just to recap, uh, we appear to be in what we think is a long-term secular bull market uh, that was interrupted very rudely by the <laughs> pandemic. And, and, uh, and so now we're kind of back hitting new highs. Uh, the economy is recovering. And uh, we'll probably not see interest rates rise for a while, but interest rates rising is a sign of demand for money and a de demand for the economy. So that isn't the end of the world if interest rates were to rise. Uh, in the early stages of a bull market, uh, interest rates are always generally rising, and that's a good thing, actually. Yep. But uh, that, that's what it looks like to us today. Um, so a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, well, March Madness is starting and baseball is coming back. So there's a lot of positive things coming back in the world. So we want everyone to think about all the great things we're going to be able to do in the spring and the summer, uh, which we think will be a normal economy where stores and many things that were closed last year will be open, hopefully. Mm -hmm. uh, so coming up uh, in the Four Star Podcast in the next couple of weeks, we have some very interesting interviews. Uh, we have an interview with some of the leading uh, cannabis uh, leaders in the country who talk about all the trends in investing in cannabis. Um, and we've got a couple of other chief strategists from different organizations that will tell us a little bit about what they see with the financial markets and the economy. Um, I do want to mention that Four Star does have a great team of advisors. So if you heard anything in the podcast that you like, uh, the people that have our models and research and the services methodology and our award-winning platform are here with Four Star here in Chicago and our Nevada operation advisors in Georgia and Massachusetts. And we have clients all around the country, so we're happy to work with you. So please give us a call, contact us, um, and you can contact, contact us on our site. Um, on, on behalf of our great team, Laura, Chris, Chris, Brian, Tucker, Karen, we're signing off until the next podcast, but stay tuned for the interview right now with Jeremy Schwartz and Ben Becker. Welcome back, everybody, to the Four Star Podcast. We've got some very interesting guests here today. Uh, we'd like to have a little discussion about the market. Uh, we are investors with a group called Wisdom Tree, and they are very involved with dividend growth. Their original idea of the Wisdom Tree company was fundamentals, return to tr more traditional dividend weighting, and then later dividend growth investing. We have the global head of research with us here today. He's been a guest with us before in the podcast. Jeremy Schwartz, welcome to the podcast. Brian, thank you so much for having us. Uh, good, good to have you and, and his associate here, who's a uh, RA director, works with firms like ours, Ben Becker. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. And joining me, joining me in this fun is Mr. Christopher Reardon, our director of development here at Four Star. Chris, welcome. Yeah, yeah, excited to get on with the interview. So um, we were really curious to hear from you, Jeremy and, and, um, and Ben. The whole idea recently is that dividend stocks have been more interesting. You know, we've had like a wild uh, growth year of tech stocks and some healthcare that looked like tech. And uh, now it's more traditional and we're coming back to more dividend oriented things. Jeremy, what are, what are you seeing out there in the markets today? What, what should we be concerned about and what do you think things look like in the next year? No, it's a great opening question. You know, I think the markets have run a lot in, in some ways. I mean, certainly from we're here talking March 16th, actually, uh, it's my 40th birthday today. So it's a good, uh, good day. Wow. But it's, it's also birthday. 
the uh, thank you. I mean, it's also the you know the rebound is sort of the one year anniversary of the lockdowns and you know sort of closing to the bottom of the market back you know last March. Um, and so when you look at the rotation that's happened in the markets, I mean, you went from last year was the stay at home trade, um, working from home. I mean, Wisdom Tree's gone to a fully remote setting. You know, I'm working from home, my new home office. I don't see going back to our New York offices. So all the companies that enabled this, what you call like sort of the cloud, operating the cloud, um, you know, those kind of companies were the leaders. Um, you know, now in the second half of the year, as the optimism about the vaccines coming, the 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 new the election, the new administration, this new stimulus package, that all started causing a big rotation away from tech that started in the summer and started going towards value, small caps. It sort of accelerated the week of the election because they also got the vaccine news right after the election and it sort of turbocharged small caps and value. Um, this year we see some small cap value strategies of 25 to 30% when you know traditional quality low volatilities are basically flat. I mean, it's been you know ro big rotation uh, into those kind of um, factors of what's driving the market. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the S&P, we expect this positive reopening. We're, we're, we're positive on growth on the second half of the year. This the, the additional stimulus that they just passed further on the fire of, of the economy. Um, and so we do expect it's going to be a good year for the economy, a good year for corporate profits. Um, and, you know, now valuations have gotten higher. I mean, certainly, you know, it was a tough year for earnings with the lockdowns. This year, you know, we expect a better year in earnings. So we think earnings can surprise on the upside. Um, but the market's not cheap, right? It's not a, a low multiple. So I, I think when you talked about the return to, to dividend investing and, 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 and valuations on dividend baskets, I mean, I, you know, we look at quality dividend stocks things like companies that have high return equity, high return assets, high earnings growth expectations. We call it sort of quality dividend growth strategies. And when I look at the valuations on our index for U.S. quality dividend growth, you know, you're talking P.E. multiples of 21 times on 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 baskets. You know, when you look at 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 sort of trailing multiples, when you use the looking at earnings that are expected for this year, it's it's 16 to 17 times. And you look at the long-term history in the S&P 500, it's only, you know, 15 times going back 140, 50 years, but 16 to 17 times is not a high number. I mean, so I, I kind of look at these quality strategies as actually having value-like valuations today. Um, and so it's sort of really interesting time for those kind of strategies as, as you know, the S&P's forward earnings multiple is, is selling around 21 times earnings um, with, with the expected profits rebounding the S&P. So even that is is sort of reasonable. I mean, 20 times earnings on the S&P, given the negative yield you get in after inflation bonds today is a reasonable equity premium in our view. Um, you know, so in general, it, it leads to this positive take on equities versus bonds. Um, for sure, there could be headwinds. I mean, I think we've all focused on the positives from the Biden administration. There's been a lot of positive, the stimulus measures. Um, there could be some negatives. Higher taxes are starting to come out into the story. Um, you know, the, the, the Trump tax cuts lowered corporate taxes, helped boost earnings. And that tax rate is going to be coming more into the election. I think that is one of the risks for the market right now. Yeah, very interesting. And, and you mentioned earnings are expected to explode. I saw an investment bank say 8% growth for the America this year. 
what could that do to multiples? That could compress multiples. So we're not really at the high end. We could be even, you know, on an, adjust, on an expected earnings number, we could even be fair value or a little, you know, mid-range. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we show, we have a tool on our website that you can, called fund comparison. You can put all the index funds you want. And I was just pulling up the S&P 500 and, you know, on a trailing multiple, trailing gap earnings around 32 times. Um, you know, the, the negatives, the unprofitable companies, which is about 6% of the S&P today has wiped out that. So if you just took out the negatives, you, down, you go down to 27 times. But then when you look forward, you know, using that profit rebound that you're talking about, it, that's where it gets down to 21 times. So it really yeah. does go from, you know, 32, which is really high historically, but based on this year's numbers, it may only be 21 times, which is, which is kind of reasonable um, if those if it, those profit expectations come through, and it could even surprise too. So, it could it could um, come higher than expected today for sure. So that that leads me to the question that we get very often, and then I remember this in the '80s. I remember it in the late '90s. Whenever the markets are hitting new highs, people get nervous. They either feel guilty or nervous or something, and they say, "Gee, are we are we ready? Are we going to have a crash again? Are we going to have a crash? What do you think the likelihood of there being a crash like last year?" this year you know that was a unique crash and it was a unique rebound i mean it was like the fastest 30 percent plus crash you've ever had and then there's right. the fastest rebound you've ever had and so i you know the the fat in a way you know people talk about efficient markets are markets efficient you know and some of the wisdom trees original rebalancing um, when we were founded in 06, you know, Professor Siegel, who I've worked with now, it's our 20 year anniversary working together. I started with him in 2001, in the aftermath of the tech bubble. He wrote an op-ed, the noisy market hypothesis that say markets move away from fundamentals. They move away from fair value. The markets are noisy and they're not always efficient. I mean, it's hard to pick individual stocks and, and get that, but they can get fundamentally dislocated very quickly. And I think that's what you saw last March, but then it quickly rebounded as people said, hey, these things aren't going to be shut down forever. Yes, the, the future looks bleak, but even if we lost all of earnings for the next year, you know, the world's not going to be forever locked down. We're going to have, we're going to get back to normal in some fashion. And right, so the market corrected, right? It was temporarily noisy. It created opportunities, um, but it went back up. And so, um, you know, I, I think that will still be there. The, the more information we have, in a way, people react quicker and faster and, and the speed is accelerated, right? The, the, the information gets out faster. People are glued to their mobile devices and, 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 and it gets out there. Um, so I, 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 in, in, in many ways, even though there's some efficiency, I, I do think you'll have those wild panics and booms from time to time for forever. Yeah. Well, and that, that leads me to the recent adventure we saw with GameStop prominently and then a bunch of other names that were shorted and wild speculation. Uh, and, and people were signaling like, oh, that's the signal, that's the high. And I, my sense is it wasn't, I want to get your view. And then also, what do you think of Bitcoin here? Yeah, a lot of the activity on some of these quote unquote speculative stocks, the retail, the Reddit army, um, the Reddit raiders, as some have called it, you know, it's 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 not quite new activity, right? I go back to 20 years ago was the Yahoo message boards and people were looking at what was trending on Yahoo. It, it is unique that they've you know picked on a group of people and then sort of try to concentrate their efforts to uh, attack certain stocks, but that that's not 
such a unique activity that kind of behavior happens in in various formats it's just the latest technology and the latest form for that to be happening on i'd say the the bitcoin is an interesting um an interesting asset and and worldview i mean i personally got invested uh a little bit over a year ago today i mean it it it, it sort of it was having its own freak out moment where it basically fell 50 percent in a day and that was mm -hmm. like one of those you know we've been following i've been following it personally for for a while um, you know, our firm had been has been talking about wanting to be a leader in digital assets. Have been making investments in the space. Um, you know, on our on on trying to be at the forefront of digital asset investing. So I've been following it personally and professionally. Um, and you know, I, so I've been a believer in in personally holding some. I, I viewed it as. You know, we've been talking more, you know, if you go to Wisdom Tree's blog, we have some publications on digital assets. You can find our use cases and reasons for allocating towards it. I think the the simple narrative that that's resonating is even just as the millennials new gold, there is a people are looking for new currencies, new assets, provide different protection. So there's a use case as digital gold in portfolios. It's got low correlations to other assets. Now, that low correlation argument will um, increase over time. The more traditional institutions use it, it it's, it's, its impact on risk on, risk off environments will increase. So that low correlation won't stay forever. Um, but there is a fixed supply. So the, the argument of, hey, there's 21 million Bitcoin, there's only been 18 million that have been mined. So there's less being mined every year. Has a nature of gold as this asset that that there's a fixed supply and if there's more demand, that'll push up the price. And so the question is, where are you on the demand curve? Like how many people own it? How many of your clients own it? How many of our, you know, our colleagues own it and is that trend going up in the more demand if there's a fixed supply more demand you know pushes the prices higher and so the question is really on the narrative of how many more people want to get it and and on the negative do you have governments like india you know they've been rumored for three years of trying to make to outlaw investing in it you know the the real risk is regulatory risk that says there's mining in china and 50 percent you know it's there's a lot there's a lot of the mining that's done in China. And let's say there's government beliefs that it's the China government that's the one mining. And then the US government says, hey, we can't we can't allow this and we're gonna do everything we can to make it illegal. That's the kind of risk. So it's a different risk than gold, right? I mean, so it's it's um, but it has it has some use, it has a lot of use cases, and we do think the adoption curve is still trending higher so you know it's, it's an asset we've we've got a lot of interest in and but we believe in the digital asset story more broadly beyond bitcoin you know and so i think that's where, where we're, we're concentrating our efforts what, what, Jeremy, real quick what about um and staying on bitcoin briefly for a second what are your thoughts that tesla kind of is the latest adopter made a lot of ripples in it that they purchased a large portion of it bitcoin to get a return like you said you have this limited supply do you think that could be in part what's driving this to i think sixty thousand over the weekend it touched uh, yeah. that you have this adoption if you start getting companies that want to buy big tranches of it that's certainly going to lead to you know possibly much higher prices yeah, that's one of the new sources of demand is the companies adding it to balance sheets. And you've seen certain companies add it to their balance sheet in a major way. And people, you know, and some of these companies have gone up 10 times. Um, and they've almost become a proxy for the asset class more than they were a proxy for the companies, partly because of the regulatory framework. They have still not allowed, call it like an ETF, like we like we offer that, that offers access. So they've limited the access vehicles. You've got to have either these digital wallets or there's some 
trust structures that are not your traditional ETF structure. The SEC hasn't allowed ETFs yet. Um, you know, I, I think so. There's hopefully there's new asset, there's new ways of accessing it that become available over time. Um, you know, the the companies, Tesla itself has said, well, we want to perhaps allow transactions in Bitcoin. And there's sort of a, a question: Do they need to own it on their balance sheet to allow the transactions to happen? If you're if you have coins, will you go? You know, are they going to price it in Bitcoin or are they going to price it in dollars? And your price either increases or decreases. So there's a lot of that uncertainty that happens mm -hmm. if you price things in in coins versus dollars and how that's going to change the price from day to day. Um, you know, a lot of the original Bitcoin people aren't selling; they're just holding it. You know, and then the question is, what you know, when will they sell to, or will they ever sell? You know, to this, these holders, as they call them, um, hanging mm -hmm. on for dear life, and and uh, you know that questions will they want to start using it in a more day-to-day -day basis um but yeah I, I think companies is one place but it's really the institutions advisors like yourselves like when do you when you know when is it easy to access for your clients to integrate in your day-to-day -day practice it's probably not right people might have coinbase accounts or other wallets where they're integrating it but it's not fully integrated across our traditional client base for sure um you know and, and so it's really just on a side and and you know that that adoption curve beyond the companies to institutions advisors is one of the new sources that we we see as a the potential thing to come interesting well and, staying on that or, yeah chris oh, go ahead i was just say staying on that note and similar um you know we've heard a lot about inflation and kind of the effects a lot of the impacts on the markets now with what that's done with interest rates and things like that. But usually with inflation, you see gold uh, kind of running upwards as people have, like you said, that flight to safety, flight to protection assets. Um, really haven't seen that. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Is it because of Bitcoin, which we just talked about, or are there other um, variables at play? Yeah, it's very interesting. We, you know, one of our big themes coming into this year was what we call reflation, inflation themes. Um, you know, we run some model portfolios. We reduced core bond exposure added to commodities coming into this year with the view the 10 year was going to 2% and above. Um, that trade has worked out incredibly fast. I mean, in terms of the commodities basket being up uh, and, and bonds being down with rates, you know, the 10 year going from one to 1.6. I mean, so we still think there's more to go on the 10 year. You know, we, you know, we think it could go above 2%. Um, and part of that is this inflationary view. Now, we also have been talking gold. I mean, we we had added in some of our, I mentioned Professor Siegel, my collaboration with him for 20 years. Uh, in the first 19 of the years, he never said anything nice about gold. He would sort of poke fun that the long-term, you know, a dollar grows 200 years after inflation to $3, like, you know, when stocks were like a million dollars. I mean, it was, it was something like that. And but he, he's been more and more worried about this big inflationary burst that you were going to get. And so we did add gold to some models that we collaborate on with Siegel. And, you know, but we upped that allocation to broad commodities funding from bonds. Um, I think what's going on right now is that rising rate story is, has, you know, part of the narrative for gold was, you know, f for years and years and years, decades, you know, there was a, a opportunity cost of owning gold that was positive interest rates. And then you had negative rates in Europe and the negative rates galore was how much was negative printing, negative printing bonds. And now you had gold as a positive because it returned zero. It has a positive carry, right? So that was a unique source. So rising rates, 
put a little bit more competition for gold. But the reality is this is all inflationary rising rates. It's it's rising break evens. It's not rising real rates. The right the 10 year real rate is still negative. I mean, you know, so over time, you know, while I think the short term was pressured from rising rates and also this Bitcoin, I mean, the Bitcoin people are in some ways what could have been gold people so that there is some of the Bitcoin sucking the oxygen out of gold. Um, you know, we do think gold as a store of value, long term store of value, currency alternative. I mean, we, we kind of do view a weaker dollar coming from all this all this stimulus and relief measures will have inflation consequences eventually. And. Um, you know, so we like gold, even though it had it, it's come under pressure just in the very short term from these factors of the rising rates and uh, and the Bitcoin alternative. Well, fascinating. Well, great. Well, thank you for being with us here today, guys. Uh, we'll uh, I guess we'll leave it there, and we'll see what the rest of the year brings. So we're really uh, thankful for you being on the call with us, Jeremy, and uh, and Ben, and uh, thanks for being uh, part of the Four Star Podcast. All our listeners are very grateful. Thank you for having us, Brandon, and all your support. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. And, and uh, to our listeners out there, remind, uh, re- just remember, if you're going to rank us, give us a five. If you're going to give us something other than a five, then, then we'd prefer if you didn't rank us. Um, just kidding. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, do give us a good ranking. And uh, also, uh, don't forget to tell everybody that you can get this podcast, which you probably got in an email on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and all the services where you can get podcasts. So thanks again, everybody, for being with us today in the Four Star Podcast. We'll be back with another episode shortly.